Mitt Romney. Three issues every American should be outraged by. Why empathy and understanding is needed in politics. And truth still matters. which is one I take very seriously, is to ask you tough questions. And to make you realize that sometimes you don't like the answers to the questions I'm giving you. That doesn't make me the enemy. That doesn't make me a Soros plant, which I got out of Forbidden this week. Apparently George Soros is paying me, and paying me by the word or by the sentence. We can't figure that one out. But it's to ask questions. It's to make you self-reflect. You see, if you're a new listener or a relatively new listener, you may not have heard this. I am unique in this industry in that, and I say this genuinely, not to mock or to put other people down, but just to state a fact. I'm not here to convert you to get you to think the way I think. You know, if you listen to other networks or this network, there are plenty of people who are literally open and they're they're not hiding it. They want to teach you how to think and they want you to go, Trump is great or the Constitution is awesome or, you know, if you don't see things the way I do, you're the enemy. There are plenty of hosts this way my job is not that my job is very simple is to come here each week and present an argument to you in a way that makes you think for yourself and if at the end of that conversation you have the exact opposite opinion you think i might have that's okay that's totally fine but it's to make you think to make you you know self-reflect to make you grow in your knowledge so i want to start this week by talking to you about being real. And I want to lo- use the story of Mitt Romney. If you have been living under a rock this week, you're going, why is John talking about Mitt Romney? What happened this week? Well, I know this is not very many people, but just on the off chance this is you, Mitt Romney made a lot of headlines this week. Mitt Romney voted as the only Republican senator in the Senate to vote to impeach President Donald Trump. Now, I don't want to talk about the impeachment because I hope that this is over. I don't think it is. I, I don't think the Democrats will will stop. I think this is it's going to be next. What's next? Because it's all going to be BS and it's all going to be Trump. But let's just hope for a minute that just calm resi- you know, reigns for a bit, that we can get past this stuff and we can actually talk about real principles. But Mitt Romney voted... And as you saw, if you followed the the votes, then you saw the media reaction to Mitt Romney, and it was rather polar opposites. I kind of was interested to see what the left would say, and 
We'll talk about that in a second. Then we, we'll talk about what the right said. So the left said, oh, he was a man of honor and acted all good. And the Dem- Democrats are all saying how good of a man he was. And, you know, he's a man of God. Mm-hmm. Then the right were calling him a traitor. A sellout. There are people in this administration who are calling him a democratic asset. So let's just talk about two principles here, which are really important. And the first principle is a question that I think is always, I think it's actually a life lesson that America and anyone around politics can learn. And I would say this, especially to my friends on the left right now, in the in terms of the Iowa caucuses. Don't always assume malice where ignorance is equally a good excuse or incompetence. It's a lesson that I learned as a very young age when you're dealing with people. You know, it's always easy to think the worst about someone. Just think about people in your own life or people that you work with. You know that person who, you know, you don't really like or has had a track record of letting you down. And then they let you down and it's automatically the worst. Oh, they're incompetent they're, or they're, they, you know, they're just not reliable. And we always go to the worst extreme of it. There could be a genuine reason for it. The car could have broke down. You know, they, they forgot. But we automatically jump right to the worst part of every, every attribute. You're seeing this in your politics right now where it's automatically the worst aspect. It's automatically, whether it's left or right, both sides do this. It's automatically the worst thing. We think the worst of people. So let me ask you a question about Mitt Romney. What he did this week, I, you know, spoiler alert, or if you haven't listened to too many shows when I've spoken about the impeachment, I don't think it was an impeachable offense. In fact, I've gone as far as saying, you know, I think that, you know, the problem in America right now is that you don't have too many, you don't have enough preconditions when it comes to aid. You know, I look at the amount of money other countries, including Ireland, take from America and the way you're treated. I, I, I've always said it's a joke, but also I believe in independence. I believe in the principle of, you know, you should be independent. If you make the argument for foreign aid, this should be okay. You need foreign aid for ABC, but there's an end date. It's not a constant stream of money. So if you want to call me a Trumper for that, I've been saying it since before Donald Trump was given office. I think that the vote Mitt Romney made was wrong, okay? Not making excuses, but that's what I think. But is it possible his vote was made out of ignorance? Is it even possible? Or is it just that he's got some being his bonnet that, you know, Donald Trump doesn't like him and Donald Trump said mean and nasty stuff about him that he just doesn't like Donald Trump? He just, just can't stand him, that Donald Trump just irks him and that that's why he voted. Well, let's just take two points on that, shall we, first of all. If you think that the automatic worst about Mitt Romney, that he's a traitor, that he's a democratic asset, that he just can't stand Donald Trump and that's why he did it. Let's look at the Constitution. Are we dealing with a point in 2020 where the Constitution is well known? Are we going from a place in 2020 where every politician has read the Founding Fathers? And I don't mean the fancy, you know, quotes that everyone can read, all men are created equal and endowed by the creator. No, I mean actual words, actual the whole document. Are we dealing with a point that you can safely say to any politician, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Mitt Romney, whether it's Chuck Schumer, whether it's even Ted Cruz, 
that you can say from a point of confidence that they have read the Constitution. They have read the Declaration of Independence. They have read the Bill of Rights. They have read the Federalist Papers. They have read the Anti-Federalist Papers. They have read some of their writings. Are you going from that point? And not only that they've read them, but they've taken them in and that they've really thought about these issues. Is that the common perception of people in D.C.? Or is it the exact opposite? Is it the exact opposite that maybe, you know what, when it comes to the Constitution, and I say this as, you know, maybe this is the side I'd fall in when, especially when I look at my friends on the left and the right talk about the Constitution. Oh, the founding fathers would shake in their graves at the thought of Donald Trump as president. Um, well, there might be some truth to that from some aspects, especially, you know, if you look at the basis of George Washington. You know, George Washington would have been on Twitter. But um, some people like that. But would he shake in his grave? No. Would they shake in the grave about certain aspects? Sure. Would they look around at the government today and kind of go, what the hell have you guys done? Sure. But this idea that everyone knows in D.C. about the Constitution. You know the first thing that a lot of people would do with the Founding Fathers if they came back today? They'd look at D.C. and kind of go, and you claim to serve the American people. Are you joking? They would look at all these bills and all these policies. They would first of all probably look at your budgetary process and kind of go, when was the last time you all passed the budget? 2008. You all know it's 2020, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. So at least we're getting on that. We'll get a budget eventually, right? There are plenty of things in this world that have malice. There are plenty of people who act towards malice. But should we always jump to it? Or is it a case of maybe ignorance is just as good enough an excuse? Now, am I saying that if you, if I am making the case, Mitt Romney's ignorant, by the way, especially when it comes to your founding documents. But is ignorance some type of excuse? Is it somehow less? People will go, well, John, you're seeming to be making the case that he's ignorant not, and it's not malice and he's not butthurt because of Donald Trump. Is that somehow better? No. Ignorance is not a good thing. But can we look at the world and kind of go, be, be a bit real? Because it's so sad today to see everyone always jump to the wrong conclusion. It's always bad intent. I see this, I have friends on both sides of the aisle, and when I say friends, I use that word very loosely, because a lot of people would say, I'm not his friend, I just, I, he's someone I know. And that's cool. But it always go, we always go to the worst possible scenario of a Trump voter. I spent so many times, I, I would be a rich man if I, if I could coin and get paid for the following two sentences, I'd be a very rich man. Not everyone on the right, or not anyone I know, actually, who voted for Donald Trump is a racist, is a sexist, or a homophobe. You may like their decision, you may hate their decision, you may think of, what the hell are you doing voting for Donald Trump? But they're not racist, they're not sexist, they're good, honest people. Likewise, if I got paid for the following sentence, the amount of times I say, not every Democrat's a socialist, communist hippie who wants free drugs and free love for everyone. Who loves Bernie Sanders. If I could get paid for every time I said those two sentences, I'd be a rich man. I'd never have to work a day in my life. But we always go back to the worst of people. We always go to the extremes. So should we always assume the worst in people, or is ignorance a good enough excuse? I believe when it comes to the Constitution, ignorance is not an excuse, but it's a valid reason for why a lot of people say and do the way they act. 
Which leads me to the second principle. You know, I, there are many people who are greater than me who I love their words because they sum up words and phrases and principles so much better than I could ever dream of. And I want to share a, a quote with you. And it's from a great philosopher, Immanuel Kant. There are many things I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things I do not believe. Does that sound like a quote that makes any sense to you? Is that you? Is that quote relevant to any politician or anyone who actually follows politics today? Does anyone actually believe that? Let me say that quote again for you, just in case you missed it the first time. There are many things I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things I do not believe. Again, I want to talk about Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, in in many points, and the way people responded to Mitt Romney, helped me start in this journey where I avoid your politics. I also realized no one cares what an Irishman thinks about politics. I also realized from someone who works in this industry that a lot of people in my industry put a high relevance, a much higher price on their endorsement, quote unquote, than it actually means. I don't think endorsements mean anything, especially when it comes to political candidates. People like who they like. That's it. There are very few people who might, you know, if you endorse them, you might start thinking about them. But in this industry, it's very few. But one of the frustrating things about me who speaks about principles is when you but speak about principles, you have to be consistent. I'm blessed that I have been on the blaze nearly six years and all the episodes are available for you. You can go back and listen to some old ones. See how many principles I've changed or have I been consistent. There's even go further back. There's writings for websites. See, have I changed? My tone has changed. The way I talk has changed. But the principles have always been consistent. Look at the reaction to Mitt Romney. Do you think consistency is critical? Do you think consistency is important? Do you think being someone who shall never say the things that they do not believe is important? Because this week is a prime example of what is wrong with politics. And it all starts and ends with what happened this week with Mitt Romney. You know, I'll start with my friends on the left. You know, I get this is all a political theater and it's all political games and kabuki theater and we all gotta, you know, just play the game to do whatever we want to get done. We just gotta win, so that means in selling out our soul for anything. It has been really hard to stomach people on the left media. Oh, Mitt Romney. Oh my God. Mitt Romney is a hero. Mitt Romney is just a good and decent man. Mitt Romney's a man of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 oh, bless their heart. That's, that's, that's all I can say about that because I remember I was around your politics. I've been around since the Bush versus Gore election. I do remember you saying the exact same thing in 2012. 
I do remember you saying the exact same thing in 20. Oh, no, wait. No, no, no. He was the person. He was the person who ran against Barack Obama. He was the person who was going to put people back in chains. He was the person who was this rampant sexist who had binders full of women. This was a guy who was so cruel, so bad, so mean. He, he dared put a dog on top of his car. He, he, he was just a racist, xenophobic, homophobic, sexist monster. He was the person who, you know, was buying all these businesses and putting people out of their jobs. This is all a game. Oh, but this life is but a stage and we shall all play our meaningful acts. Even if it doesn't mean anything that we're consistent. Even if it means we spend our whole lives lying. Are you serious? The guy who is going to put people back in chains is is now a good man. Is now a good, honourable, decent man. Is consistency important? Answer that question right now. Because if you're like, yeah, you get that left, John. I also want to talk about the right. Because what is happening is when it comes to politics, we all insult people because they don't have our opinion. And they're going to flip this on the right. I was there for the 2012 election. I was never Romney, if I may use the phrase of the day, before it was cool to be never Romney. I got told during the 2012 election that John... Pretty much the same thing I got in 2008, 2016, and still get today because it's 2020. John, you're just so ignorant. You just don't understand America. How can you be never Romney? My God, Mitt Romney, you know, he's a good person. You know, you should vote for him. But but Barack Obama, John, uh I know. I was never Barack Obama before. That was cool as well. I am not a never Trumper. I am not a never Romney. I am never a, not a never McCain or never Obama. What I am is always principled, always constitution, always limited government, always freedom. This is not a left or right principle anymore. This is a human principle. This is my lifestyle principle. This is who I will be. And if it's popular on the left, if it's popular on the right, if it's popular at the top or the bottom or the center, cool. I don't care where you put me on a map or on a scale. These are the principles I will hold dear. Is consistency important? Is it truly important? These are questions you need to ask yourself and ask yourself, especially as you're going into 2020. Shall you say things that you don't believe today just to get Trump elected? Or will you say the things that you don't believe in 2024 to get someone else elected? Or will you always be true to the truth? So that was Mitt Romney. I now fast forward a day in the ever filled media coverage and I talked to you about the State of the Union State of the Union Donald Trump gets up on Wednesday night and talks to you about the State of the Union you want to know why I get frustrated and uh, excuse my language but so pissed off 
Well, what happens in America on a daily basis? Because I, I am... I know when I come behind this microphone, I, I tend to be more re- measured and reasoned, but I look at your country sometimes and I just go, what the hell are you guys doing? And how did the American people not realize you were being played? So Donald Trump gives a speech for, I think he speaks for about 70 minutes. He talks about a lot of stuff. He talks about, gives a lot of statistics about his, the economy. He gives a lot of things, whether you like them or not. There was a lot of substance in this speech. It wasn't fluff, it was substance. He speaks for 70 minutes, talks about unemployment, talks about America's position in the world, talks about a few good things. What is the reaction? What were the media focused on, whether you were in the left or whether you were in the right in America? Were you talking about some principle that Donald Trump discussed, whether you liked it or not? Were you talking about some idea that he proposed, whether it was good or bad? Nope. Were you talking about any aspect of, well, what is his legacy? Is Is the economy as good as Donald Trump says? Nope. Do you know what you were talking about? Outrage. Outrage. Everyone that I saw, my friends on the left in the media, what was their takeaway? Oh my God. Donald Trump snubbed Nancy Pelosi. When he went to give her the speech right at the start, she put out her hand and he didn't even dare shake it. He didn't even look at it. You could clearly tell there's tension between them. That was, that was just an act of disrespect. What were my friends on the right talking about? My friends on the right were talking about, oh my God, did you see what Nancy Pelosi did at the end of that speech? She ripped up that speech. Oh my God. There's now memes and gifs about this. In fact, it's actually gone one step further since Wednesday night. The Republicans are now bringing to censure her because she acted in a disrespectful way. This is what you're discussing. You have a president, whether you like him or hate him, give a 70-minute speech about things in America, and you could have an honest discussion about, hey, this is good, this is bad, this is why we agree, this is why we disagree, and we could have some meaningful discussions. But no. No, we can't have that. No, we have to be outraged and talk about crap. I honestly, I said earlier on in the first segment about your founders coming back to today. If your founders could come back today and look at what your people are talking about online and look at what your media are talking about and the way you act, they'd go, what the hell are you all doing? What are you doing? And I can guarantee you, as I've said these words to people and you have listened to them, I guarantee you there's a chunk of you going, yeah, but John, they started it. Oh, John, but yeah, well, I'm not defending that, but the other side are way worse than my side. Or even some people would go, how could you defend Nancy Pelosi? Or how could you defend Donald Trump? I'm not defending any of them. I'm not defending, I'm not even getting into who's worse. But this is the big takeaway to a 70-minute speech based around substance. You want to know what's wrong with your country? That right there. Because there was plenty in that speech that if you're a Republican or a cons- if you're a conservative, and I mean a traditional conservative, there was things in there that you kind of go, yeah, that's good. There are also things in there that you should be going, oh my God, hell no. 
Because I would ask you the one question. And I'd ask you to ask this about the media, about people in this industry, about people who work at other networks, and this network who covered the State of the Union. I would ask you to visualize the one test that I always give to people. If Barack Obama made that speech, would your reaction be the same? Because I can guarantee you there was enough in that statement, in that speech, that if you were on the left and Barack Obama gave that speech, they would be genie mac. If I may quote some of the people in the media, oh my God, there'd be a trill up my leg. But likewise, the right would be outraged. Go back to Emmanuel Kant. Shall you say the things you do not believe? Are you consistent? But since everyone wants to be outraged, everyone wants to be angry. You know, I'm not going to share pictures and memes about, you know, I saw all these different memes about Nancy Pelosi. You know, the only way to watch the State of the Union is your telly with a, a towel over covering Nancy Pelosi. I saw all these gifts, and they're, you know, look, I'm not, I, some of them are funny. You know, there was one where it wasn't Nancy Pelosi behind them, it was Senator Palpatine. You know, there's all this stuff, and I get it, people are online, you know, they want to have fun and they want to make the name for themselves, cool. But you also have to have a point where you kind of go, your country has major problems right now. So if you want to be outraged, and you don't want to be outraged by little things about, oh my god, she tore up his speech, or oh my god, he didn't shake her hand. You want to be outraged about some stuff in your country? Let me talk to you about three things you should be outraged by. Three things. Number one. And this is inspired because I spoke earlier about your founders. You should be outraged by the job every politician does in America. Every politician's job. Because contrary to popular belief, the politicians, when you elect them, whether you elect them through the House, through the popular vote, whether you supposedly elect them through the Senate, which is now by popular vote, but even historically by the states, or whether you elect Donald Trump or any president through the Electoral College, they only have one job. And it's not a job that anyone ever talks about. Maybe that's part of the problem. Because their job is not to grow the economy. What? It's not a politician's No, it's not a politician's job to grow the economy. It's not a politician's job to be loyal to the party or its leader. Really? The, the president is the leader of the party. Surely we've... No, that's not your job. And here's where I'll really annoy you. It's not even the job of a politician to follow and enact the will of your people. That is not their job. If you're elected to serve in the federal government, which is the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court, the presidency... Your job is to follow your oath of office, which includes some version of the following words, to preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution. So help you God. That is your job. How many people actually follow that job today? Actually, let me go one, let me lower the bar for you substantially. How many people know that that's their job and what their job entails when it comes to the Constitution? Because I would ask you, as I have asked you so many times in the past, when was the last time you saw anyone in Congress, anyone, anyone, understand and highlight that the government is unconstitutional the way it currently acts? Whether it's Republican control in the Republican-led Senate, whether it's under Democratic control in the Democratic-led House, or vice versa. 
when the Republicans had the House and when the Democrats had the Senate, the same problems happened. How many times, when was the last time you heard anyone in Congress talk about Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? How many times, actually, you know what, it's always easy to blame the politicians. It's always so easy to go, well, the Republicans and the Democrats. Or if you, you know, if you're a political hack, which there are many of today, well, it's, you know, the left don't know the Constitution, John. Yeah, many times is the right to it. How many times did you hear anyone, any American say, you know what, that goal violates Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. In fact, you know, I see all these shows, like we have them on this network as well, like the Moron Trivia. Here's a question for Moron Trivia, or, you know, the Joe on the Streets. How many clauses are in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? Can you even tell me what Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution actually does? How many people would actually know that? Because Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution is the strict limit of powers that DC has. And if it's not in those 18 clauses, which is the answer, then guess what? It's not a state power, or it's not a federal government power. It belongs to individual states, and it is to be decided by individual states. And contrary to popular belief, if a state says, eh, I just don't want to get to that thing, the federal government does not have the power to come in and go, well, they didn't act, we will. I know this is a popular saying today in politics. Oh, they didn't act, we will. The states didn't do their job, so we're going to do it for them. That doesn't work that way. That violates the Constitution. But also, likewise, when was the last time you heard anyone talk about the limits on the presidency? Article 2 power. In fact, you know, you want to have another, you know, since I'm on this little rant about moron trivia, why not have a moron trivia question of, I'm sure they've probably asked this in the past, but maybe let's have, let's have a constitutional moron trivia. When was the last time you asked, what are, what's Article 1 and what's Article 2 and what's Article 3? It's the three levels of government. And contrary to popular belief, they're all equal. But when was the last time you heard, Anyone say, you know what, the presidency, they have no real power. That the Constitution is rather clear. All legislative power should belong in Congress. And again, if Congress decides not to act, that doesn't mean the president has the power to act. Contrary to popular belief by all presidents, including Barack Obama, who famously said, well, I have a pen and I have a phone. doesn't matter, you can have pens all you want. You can even have a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen for all you want. You could have the phone that has numbers to every politician in the world. Doesn't mean if Congress doesn't act, you will. Doesn't work that way. To act that way means you violate the Constitution. When was the last time you actually heard anyone talk about the powers the President does have? He has no legislative power, but he's the Commander-in-Chief of the military. He's a figurehead. Figurehead. No power. Figurehead. To meet other world leaders. And they can veto legislation if they think it's unconstitutional. How many times do we hear this? How many times do we hear the limits of power? How many times do we actually hear people say, you're going to vote for a president because they'll follow the constitution? In fact, you know, I'd actually love to see a poll. You know, you have all these polls of why people voted for Donald Trump and why people are voting right now or trying to vote in Iowa because uh, no one knows the results. I, I, I'm when I recording this show, I think it was 96% uh, reported. It's unbelievable. When was the last time you heard people say, I'm not voting for them because they'll follow their oath of office? When was the last time you heard that as an excuse? What were the reasons people told me they vote for Donald Trump? Whether I liked it or not. Didn't matter whether I did or not. What, what were the reasons? 
He's not Hillary. Supreme Court justices. He's a businessman. He'll get the economy going. He'll protect the Second Amendment. He's pro-life. He's pro-Israel. We all heard these re- issues. He'll pick best the best Supreme Court judges. We heard all these arguments. Did you ever hear anyone? I'm not voting for Donald Trump because he's going to follow his oath of office. Likewise, to my friends on the left, who all of a sudden are enamored with the Founding Fathers and are so sure the Founding Fathers would be shocked at Donald Trump's behavior. You're now voting to see who's going to face Donald Trump in November in the general election. What are the reasons you hear, you know, you hear all these videos? What are the reasons you're voting for, you know, for Bernie Sanders or, or thing? Hey, I like socialism. Hey, we just need to, it doesn't matter who we vote against. We just need him out of office. Or we need a fairer society. We need to grow the middle class. We need more benefits. When was the last time you heard you, since you know about the founding fathers and you hold a constitution so sacred, when was the last time you heard someone say, I'm going to vote for that person because they're going to fulfill their oath of office? I asked this question, why you should be outraged by it? It's because it's all theater. It's all games. Because I will just speak to my Christian friends, whether you're left or right. Everyone who goes to office, with the exception of a handful who don't do this, I think there was a couple last session, they will place their hand on a Bible and they take that out of office and they say, so help me God. Does that mean anything? Like if you're putting your hand on a Bible and saying, I will do X, Y, and Z, so help me God. Does that mean anything? If you do that, surely that should be something when you don't do it, you should be outraged by, right? Especially as a Christian, because the Bible is the sacred text. And you have people in D.C. on all sides, whether they're left or right, whether they're Christian or not, will take that out of office and then go, yeah, eh. The second issue you should be outraged by, and this is an issue that actually usually should have bipartisan support. This should be an issue because it's been an issue in the past that everyone on left and right have highlighted. But no one is highlighting it today for some reason. Hmm, I wonder why that is. And that is your record level of spending and your federal debt. You know, I've been around your politics for a long time. I said Bush versus Gore was my, my first election and here we are 20 years later and my god my god i feel so old but also looking at iowa i kind of remember you know this week especially because i looked at iowa geez florida was a, was so much easier to sort out than iowa because at least florida had constitutional arguments to be made they didn't make them but they could have made them iowa i haven't got a clue what's going on it's just a mess but spending debt I remember, you know, back in the good old days. Do you remember the good old days? Let's, let's take a, you know, let's, let's dial that DeLorean, that baby up. Get it up to 88 miles an hour. And do you remember back in that? It feels so, honestly, this actually feels a long time ago. To show you how long ago this was, I actually had hair back then. Do you remember 2008? Oh, the 2008. Do you remember those years? Oh, the end of the Bush years. Oh, those years were just so wonderful. They weren't, but let's just play along. And do you remember this president-elect called Barack Obama? Do you remember those days? And he gave a speech and he called George Bush unpatriotic. 
What did he call them unpatriotic for? Because during his eight years in office, he grew the debt from just under six trillion to just under nine point six trillion. He grew it by about just under, you know, let's round up four trillion dollars in eight years. And candidate Obama said that was unpatriotic and he called George Bush out for it. So we know our friends on the left loved are so worried about the debt. Oh my God. All these, all these wars, all these things that are going on. We need to stop spending money. Mm hmm. Do you agree with that principle? Was Obama right? Then towards the end of the Bush administration and we had, you know, good old George Bush, you know. I gotta, I gotta end the free, I gotta violate the free market to save the free market and bail out all these businesses. And that rant, or that, that, those actions and those bailouts inspired a rant by Rick Santelli and boom, the Tea Party was formed. And do you remember the Tea Party for eight years under Barack Obama? Highlighting his spending spree and his growing the debt. You might have even saw a famous meme that all these memes and gifts about it, you know, more memes. That how Barack Obama had added more in his eight years than the prior 43 presidents combined. This is a really bad thing. Because in his eight years, the deficit went from about 9.6 trillion to around 19 trillion. Give or take. Give or take 9 or 10 trillion. So Bush is unpatriotic for adding 4. Obama adds 8, 9. Give or take. Now let's fast forward to 2020. Who's talking about the debt? It's, since no one's talking about it, I'm guessing your debt is sorted, right? Wrong. Your debt, despite a record economy, despite people like Donald Trump highlighting this week in the State of the Union that how many people are off food stamps and are now in employment, not on benefits, your government is still growing by a trillion dollars a year. And it currently stands, give or take, about 23.25 trillion dollars who's calling anyone unpatriotic today who's forming groups to rally on dc saying stop your stupid spending you're bankrupting us who's highlighting that this issue alone is the one issue that could literally destroy america and bring america and the world to its knees because when ireland went bankrupt in 2008 we needed a bailout of give or take 100 billion you can sneeze printing a hundred billion for this world. There is not enough money in God's green earth that is there now or that is likely ever to be created that can print 23 trillion dollars and survive. If you fall, if you fall, you will bring not just a depression, not just a recession, not just a great depression. You will bring a pandemic to this world. And as much as you have helped advance it and taken that 5,000 year leap, if America falls because of its debt, you will not just take a 5,000 year leap backwards, you will probably bring us back to the Stone Age. That is not rhetoric. That is not hyperbole. That is truth. $23 trillion. How many kids today are not born who are still to be an idea, who are going to be born with this debt and at their point of their time, it might be 25, 28, 30 trillion. Do you think they're going to have the same opportunities you do? Yet no one ever talks about it. In fact, not only is DC continuing to spend as it is, it can't pass a budget. There is a process in the Constitution and in the government that says you shall pass a budget every year. 
And each level of government passes a budget. The House passes one, the Senate passes one. And then you go through a process called reconciliation, where basically the House elects a certain people, the Senate elects certain people, they meet and then they discuss their budgets and the differences, and then they come together and form one budget. And then they agree on it, and then it goes to the President, and the President signs it. And that's when you have discussions about things, of issues. You don't even do that anymore. You just have continuing resolution, continuing resolution, continuing resolution. When was the last time you heard anyone talk about continuing resolutions been bad? I know Donald Trump did it the first time he was in office, but does he do it anymore? You want to know how bad things are to make this even more severe? There are a couple of people in D.C. who are actually consistent on some principles. On this issue, Rand Paul is very consistent. Not only has he been very consistent, he's actually tried to institute legislation, where he calls it the penny plan. He dared to put a proposal last year forward that would cut 2% of your budget. To put that into context, for every dollar that you normally spend right now, he wanted to spend only 98 cents. Oh my god, the hater! Oh my god, I can't believe you brought Rand Paul up! Oh my god, the hate! I can just literally feel the racism dropping off your words, John. 2%. 25 Republicans voted against it. Hmm... All Democrats voted against it. Hmm, seems for, you know, George Bush being unpatriotic and for Obama being, you know, the most profitable spender in all of American history, y'all found something to unite on, not reducing the size of government. Isn't that interesting? Which then brings me to the third issue you should be outraged about. You know, if you've listened, if you're a long-term listener to this show, you know exactly what I think about America. There are many reasons you're an exceptional nation. There are many reasons you're unique. There is no other country like you. One of those issues and one of those reasons is because your founders were men of honor and they spoke about principles they call self-evident truths. That they're, they should be obvious to everyone. That everyone just gets them. That everyone just wakes up and kind of goes, this is obvious. Sadly, man is inherently flawed. Man inherently wants to control each other. And man will never stop seeking ways to belittle someone else. America was based on the principle that all life is precious. That every individual has meaning, has purpose, and has a God-given right to pursue their happiness. America was the country that whether you lived up to that promise or not is the country that in its foundational document, the const, or the Declaration of Independence, which is the document that everything is built upon on your nation. You wrote the words, all men are created equal. In the world today and historically, there are countries where you are judged not on all men being created equal. But on ideas and aspects of your life, you have no control over and have very little aspect to do, to change them. Yet they determine your future. You can be judged on anything from your race, your gender, your class, your parents, where they came from, what their jobs are, your education, where you grew up. Are you a city slicker or are you an urban person? Your income level status. You're judged on all of these and you can't get out of your little box That society says, hey, you belong in this box, stay there. This idea is foreign to America. This idea of when you're in God-given right to pursue your happiness. You have many, many, many rags-to-riches stories in America. That is the exact opposite. 
everyone in America has a creed. And that creed says you have a right to pursue your happiness regardless of where you come from. Now, am I saying America has always lived up to that? Because there are people who will listen to this and kind of go, John, you know nothing about Look at American history. Look at the way your Irish people were treated. Look at the way blacks have been treated. Look at the way different parts of society have been treated. I know. It's absolutely critical to understand America has made promises in the past. Its promises are in the Declaration of Independence. The promises are in the Constitution. The promises are in the Bill of Rights. You haven't always lived up to those principles. You haven't always lived up and paid those checks. But to those who mock me and say, well, John, you just, you may get America the idea, but in reality, it's different. Well, then what are you doing in DC to change it? Is America moving more towards the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights today? Or is it moving further and further and further away from it? Is America based on truth today? Are you trying to right the wrongs of the past? Or are you just continuing that process of, you know, saying words and not doing it? Because here's the third issue you should be outraged by. Life. Every life has precious. Every life has meaning. Every life has the potential to change this world. I don't care who you are. But look around at society today. How many times or many people truly believe all life is precious and that everyone, regardless of your background, has the potential to change the world? How many people believe that? How many people do you see that are on social media and around you and in your circle that go, they're Democrats, they're not equal to me. They're Republicans, they're racist, xenophobic, homophobic haters. They're not equal to me. How many times do we believe and act like everyone has the potential? But likewise, to all the politicians, you see, there's so many easy things politicians do. Words are easy. Words and catchphrases are easy. You know, here's a little inside, you know, little bit of inside baseball for you. When you're a politician, one of the things you're always after is a very catchy, attention-grabbing phrase of a few words that will fill that ticker on CNN, on Fox. If you can give a catchy little answer that fits in that ticker, that's all you're looking for. You're just looking for that soundbite that fits in that ticker and that's a two or three or four second soundbite that can be played over and over and over and over and over again. That's what you're after. Words are easy. Actions actually require work. I see all my friends on the right go, oh, I'm pro-life. Great. I'm pro-life too. Why is Planned Parenthood still funded? Why is Planned Parenthood still funded and still butchering babies? Why is that? You want three issues to be outraged? There's three issues that you should be outraged by. And contrary to popular belief, there are actually three issues that should be easy to get consensus on. Not in DC, not in the media, but among your American people. If you do your job right. If today's show has you know inspired you or angered you or made you feel anything get in touch on social media i'm on twitter at freedom disciple i'm on facebook uh, america's favorite irishman or you can look at any of them i'm also now on instagram at america's favorite irishman so we're going to start posting stuff there i want to talk to you about politics but i want to talk to you about another principle within politics and what i think is missing today 
you know, I look around at the world and the world, the world has so much potential. The world really is an amazing gift. And yes, I'm a Christian, so I believe it's a gift from God. I look around at people and I talk to people and I see people who are way smarter than me. And I talk to people when I try and figure out different aspects of, you know, you know, issues that are going on. And I'm just amazed that they're a genius. And I firmly believe that we will live in a world that will be amazing. That we will find that balance of celebrating the individual and enjoying the advancements those individuals bring us. And we will not be as political as we are today. And we will have opportunities beyond our wildest dreams to be free. But as much as I believe that, there is also an opportunity that we screw things up. There is also the potential that things go really wrong. And sometimes it mightn't be true humans. It might be just that, you know, we're due for another pandemic. And that, you know, maybe it's the coronavirus or maybe it's something else and that... It just brings so much economic devastation that the world can never survive. That kills so many people and it just, you know, has a, you know, uh, an effect on the world that we can't tell. Or maybe it's some meteor and it knocks out all the technology and, you know, we go back to the Stone Age. But there's also a understanding that maybe we screw things up. And I want to talk to you about politics today. But also, it revolves around politicians, it revolves around the media, but it also revolves around the people who always are commenting on politics. And that is the attributes they hold dear. You know, there is one, there's actually several attributes that are missing in politics today. And there are attributes I admire in people. And the first one is humility. Without going off on a another little mini rant about why George Washington, I believe, is the greatest man who ever lived. A lot of it was to do with his temperament. You know, if you read enough of the founder's writings, and you read how he was described in Philadelphia, because he wasn't originally in Philadelphia, he was summoned and called for it. And that, despite being called for and saying, you know, the convention is in crisis, we need you. Despite knowing that and despite knowing his role in the the whole revolution, understanding how important he was, he didn't make it all about him. Instead, he was described as the slow, steady, silent hand that guided the Constitution into, into a reality. There is also an aspect that's missing in society that goes along with humility. And that is self-reflection. You're looking inward and kind of going, hey, why did people act that way? Why did they act that way? Why, why did they do that? 
I want to talk to you. I'll bring it back to America, but I want to talk to you about events overseas. Last week, despite all the fear-mongering, despite all the hyperbole in the media, despite everything every famous person and politician said would happen, Brexit happened last Friday. Brexit happened, and the world is still amazingly spinning around its orbit. Amazingly, there is no, you know, cratering, cratering of Europe and of England, and the world still exists. And the world still has the same potential for greatness that it did yesterday. But I look at what's happening in Europe. And I look at all these politicians give all these speeches. And as someone who, I I don't say this very often because quite honestly it pains me, but is technically a European because Ireland is part of the European Union and is just so pro-Europe I have a passport that's not Irish. I have a passport that's European and it pisses me off. As much as I don't have any love for Ireland, I, I, you know, I'm not exactly the, the poster boy for, you know, proud to be Irish. As much as that, if, if my choice is Irish or European, it's not even a question. I'm Irish. I am, I may be 1% Irish because I live here. I'm very American as that might come across, but I am 0% European. Zero, zilch, nada. There's not even like, a, there's not even a grain of sweat on my soul that is, is European. Nothing against European people. I just, I'm not European. But I watched some of these speeches in the European Union about Brexit. I've watched them over the last couple of years and I watched them today. There isn't one ounce of humility in that room. There isn't one ounce of looking at self-reflection and kind of going, why did England leave, vote to leave? Is there any chance it wasn't racism, sexism, xenophobia, and just English people are full of old haters? Is there any chance that we can look around at each other and kind of go, what mistakes have we made? What mistakes have we made and what can we rectify? What can we act in a way that ensures this doesn't happen again? But instead of actually looking inward, they just project outward. All they do is just business as usual. Nothing to see here, folks. Everything's just swell and awesome. European Union is just brilliant. And it's English people who are just too stupid and too dumb to know better. But no other country will leave. Mm, maybe it will. They'll just continue on this path. This path of destruction this path of it's always other people who are the problem not us this path of let's just blame everyone else if you're against us you're the enemy let's destroy you and what is happening in europe is voices who are going no to them no are usually the most extreme are usually the voices that have questionable past. Are voices that are making principled arguments like, hey, you know, free speech. But are usually coming from people who are rather extreme and not people, if you believe in freedom, you want to side with. And so the people of Europe have been put in a situation where it's really bad. 
And if you know anything about world history, putting Europe in a situation where it has two extreme ideologies, it never ends well. But there is no self-reflection. There is no humility. There is no understanding. It's just full steam ahead. And what's going to happen? Potentially a lot of bad things. I hope I'm wrong. But there is a potential for really bad things to happen. Which leads me to a print point where I want to talk to you about your elections. And then I want to bring it back to Ireland. Every principle I just spoke about there is relevant to America. Is there any understanding or even grasp from my friends on the left of why they voted for Donald Trump? Is there any grasp of, hey, why did people vote for Donald Trump? Yet they don't ever seem to want to look inwards. I saw Hillary Clinton this week and God, why does Hillary Clinton still have a microphone in front of her face? But is beyond me. Because even the left should be like, oh my God, just go away. But it's 2020 and Hillary Clinton this week found another reason to explain why she lost. Spoiler alert, it wasn't her. It was Bernie Sanders supporters. Because they were difficult to work with, you know. Wonderful. Wonderful. Is there any self-reflection of maybe you lost? Is there any understanding or empathy that goes, you know what? I, I, I'm uncomfortable with your policies. And that's why I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Is there any empathy looking at the American people kind of going, you know what? This impeachment bullcrap isn't selling. It's actually working to hurt us. Let's not do it. Let's not destroy him. Let's actually do what DC is supposed to do. Follow the Constitution. But there doesn't seem to be any aspect of it. But likewise, to my friends on the rice, and I'm saying this right here, right now, to give you time to think, to maybe change your actions. Is there any humility? Is there any empathy inside Donald Trump supporters that goes, you know what? I can understand why someone didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Can you actually say that? That, you know what, you had reservations about him. That you didn't agree with his policies. That you didn't agree with his linguistics. That you didn't agree with his temperament. That you didn't like his style. That you didn't like his Twitter usage. That you didn't like his rhetoric. Is there any person that can actually admit that? Is there anyone today that can actually go, you know what, Donald Trump has done a lot of good, but he's also done things I don't like without being destroyed. I say this now for the 8th of February because if you want Donald Trump to win in 2020, you need to have those attributes. Because right now, I see it online and I'm already preparing for it myself, my soul. Because I know I'm going to be called all types of names. I'm going to probably people, some of you guys will probably stop listening. That's okay. You all have to choose your own path. I'm not here today that you have to listen to me. But I know it, and I know I'm going to get a lot of crap. 
And I'm going to be called all types of names about how I'm a never Trumper about how I'm, you know, always helping the Democrats and how, you know, I'm never seem to be happy and how I'm an ideologue and how I'm paid by the word by Soros to, you know, how I'm a Russian hack. All this stuff is coming. I know it. I'm not stupid. It happened before. It'll happen again. Just because I won't support Donald Trump, even though I don't support any president. I'm not here saying you got to vote for this person. I'm not, you know, endorsing some third party candidate. I'm saying call them balls and strikes. But there are people out there who have got concerns. Some of them are black people that have some concerns about Donald Trump's rhetoric. And so many times I see people going, hey, I have this concern. And if you don't agree, you know, if you don't automatically go, well, Donald Trump is the greatest president ever. You're dismissed. You're demeaned. If you raise some concerns, you're, ah, what are you, snowflake? Grow up. I'm trying to give you advice here, by the way. This is not a a never Trump rant. This is me talking to you about politics today, but also trying to give you some advice. Because if you really want to win, humility is important. Self-reflection is important. Insulting people will only further isolate people. Insulting people will only further people from your cause. You're not actually helping Donald Trump by insulting them. You're actually hurting him. Because whether you like it or not, Donald Trump needs independence to win. Donald Trump needs a chunk of, and I hate this, I hate the way society is so broken up in pieces, but Donald Trump needs a chunk of black people to vote for him. Donald Trump needs a chunk of Hispanic people to vote for him. You have to earn people's votes. It's not like these this modern-day phenomenon where, hey, I'm Donald Trump, baby, or I'm Bernie Sanders, vote for me. You're not entitled to anyone's vote. You must earn it. And contrary to popular belief that, like Hillary Clinton, who blames everyone else, what's she an excuse now? 562 of why she lost in 2016, yet none of those 562 reasons are, hey... You know what? Maybe me flying over the coast from east to west and never going into the heartland of America, maybe that's why I lost. Hey, maybe I lost because I'm unlikable. Hey, maybe I lost because my policies suck. Nah, let's not do that. Let's just blame everyone else. It was Russia. It was Trump. It was the FBI. It was Bernie Sanders. Everyone else. If you don't, if you want to be sitting on election day, the day after election day, wanting to know why you lost if you're a Donald Trump supporter, Maybe some of the reasons might be your supporters, your supporters who are so arrogant and so, oh, well, what do you mean you won't vote for Trump? You're, you're part of the problem. You have an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity to change the world. And I'm not saying change the world because Donald Trump is president. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have an opportunity to grow this world and to start making the world a freer and better place. But we need to understand the attributes that make that happen. Arrogance isn't one of them. Insults is not one of them. If arrogance and insults won, Malcolm X will be celebrated in your country. He's not. Martin Luther King is. Because he was humble and noble. But now I want to bring it back to Ireland. Because... I'll be honest with you guys, and this is where I want to talk to you about heart to heart. I'm worried for Ireland. I'm really worried for the future of this country. 
You most of you probably don't know, but if you're listening on Saturday, we're holding in a general election. We're holding a general election and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but there's an opportunity it turns out really, really, really bad. There's an opportunity. Ireland goes to the tank. And Ireland has changed for the worse automatically. And the reason I say that is, is because currently in the polls, the party that has the highest percentage or tied for the highest percentage is a party that has major links to terrorism. Now, the only solace I have right now as I record this on Friday morning is they historically underperform when it comes to elections compared to polls. They always poll really well, and then they always the, the results always go backwards. What they poll and what they get are usually two different things. And there are reasons for that because of the Irish electoral system. I won't bore you with the details. But eventually, whether it's this election, whether it's the next one, or even the one after that, this party will be in power. And honestly, I fear for those days. I fear for those days for what will happen to Irish people. I fear for those days, but also what will happen to me. There's a chance that if they get into power, I don't know. Maybe this show stops. Maybe I get thrown into jail for God knows what. I do have those fears. I raise these issues with you because we need more empathy and understanding. I get why people voted for Donald Trump. Even if you can't stand him, I get him. It's not Hillary Clinton. I get those people who go, you know what? I don't like Donald Trump. I don't like his rhetoric. Heck, I don't even like what he stands for or his po- a lot of his policies. I'm a limited government person, but I voted for him because, and I'll vote for him again in 2020 because I, you know, I don't want Bernie Sanders. I get it. I always have got it. I've never demeaned anyone who voted for Donald Trump, regardless of whatever reason you gave. Because I understand that fear because it's a fear I have for myself right now. Historically in the elections in Ireland, and I've joked about this on this show, I write in a candidate which spoils my vote. I think, you know, in no particular order, my last votes have been Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Pluto, and Jesus. I think they're my last five votes. See, I cover, I cater to everyone. I cater to the males, to the females, to the dogs, and to Jesus. The reason I do this is because I can't put my name beside anyone. I cannot have my name beside someone who is fundamentally opposed to every fundamental belief I have when it comes to government. Yet this Saturday, I'm in a bad place. Because before it was always easy just to go, ah, look, just vote for whatever, it doesn't matter, they're all crap. Knowing that one of the two main parties was going to form the government. I'm now in a situation where, do I vote for someone who I have very little in common with because they can win to try and ensure the terrorist group doesn't get into power? Or do I hold 
to principles. Now, I know what I'm going to do, but it's not an easy choice. It's not a choice that's obvious. But it's a choice that needs to be made. But I raise this not to talk about me or to talk about my country, but to talk about understanding. We need more empathy in politics today. We need more people might look at my scenario, my situation, and I know there are people like me. I know because my mother is one of them. Who will vote for someone she maybe does not agree with, but because he can win. I already know who she's going to vote for. She hasn't told me, but I know who she'll vote for. It's obvious because if you read between the lines, she's going to make the exact opposite choice I made or will make on Saturday. But should she be condemned for it? Nope. The great thing about freedom and about free choices, we all have the gift to make our own choices. And ultimately, contrary to popular belief, you're not held responsible by your fellow man. I believe a vote is something sacred. I believe your vote is who you are in the book of life for. What were you truly for when it mattered most? Ultimately, your vote, which is not between you and me or you and your community, it's between you and God. We all need more empathy and understanding. And I pray that if you're a Donald Trump supporter and you're listening to this, you take this message seriously especially if you want him to win in 2020. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. I hope you're enjoying us. Um, this show is always aimed at making you think and hopefully having a, a few laughs along the way. <laughs> We're a Frenchman. Oh, Macron. Macron rules. No, he doesn't. Macron sucks. Even the French people say Macron sucks. He's the president. But uh, if you like this show, there's a new show released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Also, if you happen to, we're on all platforms that you can find. Look for Freedom's Disciple or Jonathan Dunn. Also, if you happen to listen on Apple, please leave us a review. Apparently, they've taken the rating systems down. So it's now only based on written reviews. And I need your guys' help. We want to grow this show. We want to reach new people. Apple is by far and away our biggest platform. So please leave me a review. Even if it's a short one, just, you know, leave a review so people can find it. And people go, oh, hey, what's this show? I'll check this one out. Because I hope you guys agree, or if I'm not, let me know. But I really work hard at this show to give you something to think about and try and make it enjoyable along the way. And I'm not here to make you think a certain way. I'm here to give you the ammunition to think for yourself. I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about another aspect of politics. This is the big political show of the year. Everything else is it'll be based around something else. Truth. Is truth a noble deed? But also, can truth win in 2020? Because I want to talk to you about a couple of things that are happening right now. And again, this is with the eye of 2020 in mind. Is truth a noble pursuit? I guess... And I understand that politicians and people in the media, truth is is one of those subjects that 
you know, is ideal maybe to some, and others, they don't care about it. You know, why let facts get in the way of a good story? But when you're dealing with rhetoric, sometimes truth, we have to stretch it to make it seem plausible. I want to talk to you about a couple of things that have been said this week, and one of them by someone I admire on this network. But it needs to be addressed and called out. And it's obvious if you listen to this person who it is. But I heard one of the people on this network this week compare Brexit to the American Revolution. I guess that a lot of people love Brexit. I get it. I get a lot of people are excited by Brexit. I even heard Nigel Farage on, on this network this week, which is, is interesting, which we'll come back to in a second. I get the rhetoric. You want to, you want to draw parallels in society. And, and again, I want to make things crystal clear. I'm not assuming, and I, cause I know this person that made these comments. I know there's no malice involved. I also know he knows better. He just maybe got caught up in the moment. It's not always, you know, ill intent. It's just sometimes rhetoric gets in the way of principles and truth as well. And Brexit had absolutely nothing in common with the American Revolution. And to say it did, not only is factually inaccurate, but in my opinion, it demeans the American Revolution. It brings it down a notch. It's no longer exceptional if Brexit can be put on a parallel with it. It's not. It's nothing to do with it. And I'm going to prove it to you. The American Revolution wasn't a revolution in the sense of a war. It was rewriting what man thought man should act like compared to his fellow man and to his government. It fundamentally changed that relationship. It's why when you read the Declaration of Independence, you hear many, many words about what you're for. The American Revolution wasn't, hey, we hate England, let's get England out. The American Revolution was, let's change how we think about things. Hey, we believe all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, and among those, but not limited to, those of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They even changed the way government was instituted. What was the job of government? It wasn't to give people's rights. It wasn't to be the nanny or the parent. But it was the job of government to protect those rights. It even spoke about the role of the people. That it isn't the job of the people to just go along with the government and to be subservient to the government. No, it was the role of the people. It wasn't just a role. It was the responsibility of the people to alter their government if government became destructive of its job of protecting your rights. But it also said your responsibility was to institute new government that will protect your rights. That is what the American Revolution, at its core, was about. It was about looking around. Because contrary to popular belief, my friends on the left who've all of a sudden changed their tone about, oh, the Founding Fathers are so awesome, and the Founding Fathers are so wise. Before they were saying that, they were saying, oh, they were all butchers and men with wooden teeth, and they were dumb. No, your Founding Fathers, whether you agree with them or not, 
You can disagree with them. You can hate America's founding fathers. You cannot say they were dumb. Look and read their writings. They looked around at other famous republics. They studied Plato. They studied Aristotle. They looked around at other people. They read the works of Adam Smith. And they tried to create a more perfect union that the world had ever seen before. They were so forward-thinking. Again, whether you like them or hate them is irrelevant. But they were forward-thinking of saying, this is what government should be. Then the truth is, we are here in 2020, and no other government, past or present, has ever even tried to emulate them. Forget actually, you know, trying to do it. Put into words those principles. No other government around the world has said, the government's job is to protect your rights, not to give you rights. Every other government says it's our job to give it to you. And whatever's what we say, if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. There is no black and white. And if you don't like it, you change your government. America's government isn't based on that. I know it acts that way today, but it is based that each man, each woman, each child has certain inalienable rights that are never up for discussion, are never up for debate. To compare that glorious revolution to Brexit, quite honestly, and I know there's no malice involved, it's just rhetoric, is a slap to your founding principles. It is a slap to the Constitution. Because Brexit can be good. You're talking to someone who was pro-Brexit before being pro-Brexit was cool. You're talking to someone who was anti-European Union before it became all of a sudden cool in the last five years. I've been anti-European government for a long time. This is not a new position for me. And this shouldn't shock you because pretty obviously, I'm not pro-government at all. I'm pro-federal government and pro-constitutional government. But I'm not like, hey, the Irish government is awesome and the US government today is awesome and the English government is awesome. I'm not that. I'm pro-freedom, not pro-government. Yes, government has a role. I am not an anarchist. I'm a constitutionalist. But comparing it to Brexit, I get its rhetoric. I get it. It sounds great. It's a good soundbite. It may even be a slip of the tongue, but it is not factually accurate. Because all Brexit did was basically what the Irish Revolution did. The Irish Revolution was based on two words, home rule. You see, the Irish Revolution, like so many other revolutions, wasn't based around freedom. It wasn't even based around an idea of how government should act. It was based around an idea of, hey, we're Irishmen and women. We don't like England. England sucks. Yes, there's a comparison there. Yes, there is a comparison. America and England, I'm sorry, America and Ireland both said, hey, we don't like the king. The king sucks. Screw the king. And then it became the queen because Ireland's revolution was later. Screw the queen. You even have that rhetoric today. And, you know, I don't say screw the queen because it's not my type of language, but I'm just saying this is what people were saying. But what did they do? The American revolution, we just spoke about what they did. The Irish revolution went, you know what? An Irishman, no Irishman should be ruled by a non-Irishman. Okay, so it's, oh, so it's okay to be ruled over. My freedoms aren't up for discussions. 
My freedoms, my liberties, my individual rights are not up for discussion. It's just I should be ruled over by an Irish man or woman, not an English person. Okay, got it. And that's what they did. They got the English out. Or they tried to. They got them out of 26 counties. The six counties is still a very delicate discussion, which we'll talk about another day. That's what Brexit was. Brexit was not some movement about freedom. I wrote for Glenn on his Facebook page when Brexit happened, when that historic vote happened, that it was a great opportunity to talk about freedom. The English people didn't do it. The English people didn't follow that opportunity. The English people just went, Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. It was good, it was bad, it's brilliant, it's awesome, it's crap. The world will end, the world is going to be more prosperous than ever before. All the glowing rhetoric about it. All the glowing rhetoric. Here's what Brexit did. It took all the power from the European government, which is filled with Europeans, Irish people, English people, French people, French and then the German people. Yeah. Then the Russian people. No, there's no Russia. I don't think. No, Russia's not in the European Union. All the other countries like Latvia and Sweden and Norway. You know all those models that Bernie Sanders says, you know, their type of socialism is awesome. And basically said they can control and tell you, make rules and regulations, and then you got to follow them. All Brexit did was go, European Parliament sucks. It's crap. You should not have that power. But you know what? Downing Street should have that power. Absolutely. Downing Street should have that power. The Prime Minister should have that power. The Parliament should have that power. All England did with Brexit was say, you know what? It's not about freedom. It's not about individual liberties. It's not even about the role of government. All it is, is that no Englishman should be ruled by a European. That all English people should be ruled by an English person. To which I ask you, if you're going to be ruled by a tyrant, if you're going to be controlled by someone, do you really care what their nationality is? Is it a case, do people get this great comfort, if you know anything about freedom, going, well, you know, whoo, whoo, my God, thank God that European isn't ruling over me, but thank God that English person is. Because bearing in mind, let me give you an American example. Oh my God, thank God the UN doesn't rule over us anymore. Whoo, whoo, I'm so sick and tired of you having that UN over me. But God, it's, it's great to have an American rule over me. God, it, it's great. I would, t- I would totally prefer Bernie Sanders to tell me how to live my life compared to that European Union. Do you take great comfort in that? And to my friends on the left, whoo, thank God the European Union doesn't tell us what to do anymore, but thank God Donald Trump does. Do you get some great comfort in that? Because I don't. That's not a pro-freedom movement. In fact, there are many times, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples, of how the English government is actually worse than the European Union. Oh, yes, it's true. And not only are they openly worse, they're proud of us. They actually, you actually had a famous, it wasn't really a famous speech. It'll, It'll be like all these speeches. By the way, that's another thing that really annoys me. All these speeches that everyone says are famous. Oh, my God, did you hear this speech? It'll be a speech remembered from the dawn of time. The left did this every time Barack Obama opened his mouth. Oh, my God, I got to trill up my leg. Oh, my God, we'll utterly, we'll never forget this speech. Can you remember anything Barack Obama said? I, sadly, I can. I actually can. I, I remember George Bush being unpatriotic. I remember if you like your doctor, you know, we don't need to, we don't need that memory. But all these speeches are utterly forgettable. Likewise today, all these speeches are utterly forgettable in the in the annals of history. There is no really breathtaking speech anymore because it's based around bullcrap. It's based around small things. There's no grandiose visions anymore. There is no Martin Luther King. I have a dream. 
That we should judge people on the content of the character, not the color of their skin. There is no one talking with those big ideas anymore. Left or right, top or bottom, centrists, moderate, media, politicians, pundits. No, we're all based around, oh my God, Nancy Pelosi ripped up his speech. And oh my God, Donald Trump didn't shake her hand. That's part of the problem. Even if there was a great speech, the media probably wouldn't cover it. But there was a speech this week by Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England. And he touted two policies, just as an example I want to give you, that are actually more progressive and more advancing and more, you know, idealistic than the European Union. One is there's a movement, and I'm sure, I don't know whether it's actually happening in America. I hope it isn't, because it really sucks. Um, It stopped me having one of my little treats that I spoil myself with every, maybe once or twice a month. Plastic straws. There's no plastic straws in Europe anymore. Oh my God, they're hurting the environment. So they have all these paper straws. And one of the things I used to love, because and I, I'll share this story as I'm a weird person. I used to get laughed at. I don't eat in McDonald's. Don't eat much junk food. But, you know, when I was, I, I have a bad voice. And when I talk for a long time, my voice gets very weak. So as a treat to myself, I, I used to go to a dr- McDonald's drive-thru and have a strawberry milkshake. And people are always like, hey, what can I get you? Welcome to McDonald's. What's your order? Large strawberry milkshake. Is that all? Okay, it's you again. And now I can't have that because it's a sucky straw and that straw melts. And it's it literally you have to start having the paper in your mouth. And if you have them, by the way, if this is an ad, if you have not if you still have plastic straws in America, keep them. Keep them. The paper straws suck. But they actually promoted the Boris Johnson in a speech, promoted. Hey, we're we we're more progressive on getting rid of plastic straws. But also a second policy. Because of climate change. Oh, oh my God, climate change. We're going to end the world if we don't do our things, if we don't do our fair share. And one of the movements within the European Union is banning petrol and diesel cars. Well, Boris Johnson is more progressive than Europe when it comes to banning petrol and diesel cars. They have an ambitious target, which I have no chance in hell or no way of this is happening. But let's see what they do. They've passed laws to ban all petrol and diesel cars by 2035. And I think the European Union in different places, like 2040 or even 2050, they're more progressive than them. So when you have those policies, when you have that level of government, when you have a system of government in England where there are hate speech laws, where people can actually report you for saying stuff online, where you have a system of big, bloated, over technical government where you have a system where you have people like boris johnson promoting the nhs where they when they talked about brexit one of the attack lines was if you vote for brexit the nhs will be defunded he was like no we're keeping the nhs we want to make it better and more efficient that is the english government and then you want to have the audacity to say brexit brexit the power going back to the english government is like the american revolution i get rhetoric i get it but does truth matter Does facts matter? I shared this with you to talk to you about Brexit. To talk to you about ideas. Because we need to redefine the role of government in our lives. But also to talk to you about truth. And again, I'm going to give... This is going to be perceived as an insult. As me mocking Donald Trump and his supporters. It's not. I don't mock people. But it's a, it should be considered advice. If you really want to win in 2020, 
I get rhetoric. I get your enthusiasm. I get your excitement. I get that you love Donald Trump, that you think he literally walks in there. I got it. Bring truth back to reason. If you want to get people to vote for you, truth matters. Truth matters. This idea that Donald Trump is the greatest president of all time, sorry, you're insulting so many people when you say that. The idea that any man can be great, the greatest of all time after four years, is ridiculous. I see this, and it's not, this is not just a political thing, this is part of your culture. I have seen a few people say this week that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback that ever lived. He's played two freaking years. Two great years. He's won a Super Bowl. I get all the plaudits. But can we bring things back to realism? You're telling me two years of this guy is better than 20 years of other quarterbacks? Is better than what Tom Brady has done? Oh, well, I mean, he be he will be the greatest. Okay, well, then say that. Because will be the greatest and is the greatest are two different words. I get it's part of your culture. It's the bombastic style of politics. It's the bombastic style of the media. It gets headlines. Because people then will respond going, what do you mean he's the greatest? He's played two years. Shut up. And then there's this back and forth. Can we make things real? I also see this other line where people are trying to talk about Donald Trump as the most, uh, you know, a malign president of all time, the most hated. Have you read your history? Which is worse, to be hated or to be assassinated? Now, I hope America never goes through the dark days of another presidential assassination. They brought your country to your knees. But as bad as Donald Trump has been treated, it is nothing compared to what Lincoln got. It is not even close. So let's bring truth back to reality. That is not understating or trying to make light of what Donald Trump goes through. Not making light of it. But we can be factually accurate, tell the truth, and also tell the story. But we don't have to be bloviating about it. We don't have to make things worse than they already are. Which brings me to my last line. Because this is a line that actually annoys people like me. And it is so pointless. It gains nothing by using these lines. But we're starting to share all these spin. Donald Trump works for free. No, he doesn't. And I'm going to say something to you that you won't like. This is a European socialist line that's become very popular in Europe and that has just been modified for America. Donald Trump does not work for free. I work for free. Donald Trump takes his salary. He just so happens to donate it to a part of government every year. If you just told the truth and said, look, Donald Trump, look, you got to give it to him. He takes a salary and then he donates it to, you know, a different part of government. That's a really good and noble thing. Just keep it at that. That's, that's good. There's not anyone who could argue with that. There's not even a leftist who could argue about that. Oh, that's a really good idea. That's, you know, fair play to him for that. But they don't do that. It, you know, we just have to make, we have to stretch the truth. Donald Trump works for free. No, he doesn't. He takes his money. He pays taxes on his money, but he happens to donate it. I say this because there are many people who listen to this show who I know for a fact because you've told me privately. You donate money to lots of charity. This audience is part of the Blaze audience, which is one of the greatest audiences out there when it comes to your money. This is the audience that raised millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars for the Nazarene Fund. 
Some people gave good chunks of their paycheck. Were you going around the next day going, I'm working for free? How are you working for free? I gave my money to the Nazarene. No, you didn't. You worked for money and then you happened to give your money to charity. There are countless people who listen to this who probably give a good chunk of their earnings to church. You don't get to say, well, you know, I earned $10 an hour, but, you know, I gave the equivalent of $2 an hour to the local charity and to churches and stuff. I only work for $8 an hour. No, you don't. You work for 10 There's no need to stretch the truth. Because just put Donald Trump in the same league as someone like me. I work for free. I'm not trying to get sympathy, but it's factually true. I work for free. I've done this show for the blaze for nearly six years, and I'm proud of everything I have done. I am proud of the difference I have made. I am so honored that you've invited me into your home, that you give me your time each and every week, or every show, any show that you listen to. I have never received one cent from the blaze. Not saying I'm angry, I don't want any money. I'm really lucky I don't need it. But to say me and Donald Trump both work for free is factually inaccurate. There are so many examples of this. You're turning what should be a good and noble thing by stretching the truth. You're actually turning it into going, why are you doing this? Truth will win. Let the chips fall where they may. Call a spade a spade. Because truth will win. There, Especially on that last one. There is no one who could actually, if you told the truth, it's a pointless lie. But there's no one who's going to go, well, you know, he donated all the salary. Oh, that sucks. I hate Donald Trump for doing that. Really? What lefty's going to say that? Whereas if you say, hey, he works for free, the lefty will, factually, that's inaccurate. You're a liar. You're just one of those Trump supporters. You can't even tell the truth. This is going to be perceived, I know, by some of you who listen. Oh, there you go, attacking Trump. I'm not. I'm trying to give you advice. I'm trying to base everything on principles. Because let me tell you this. I want to finish up on this point. Truth matters. Truth matters. Because what I see coming is not good in potential, in terms of politics. There is no truth. It's all fabricated lies on all sides. And it's pushing people to different corners. If we want this world to be prosperous, which I so believe it can be, we can live in an era where we are freer than we've ever been before. We need to understand our role in that. Truth will give us our guiding way. Principles will give us our guiding way. Not lies, not deceit, not bombastic rhetoric. Let us celebrate the things we should celebrate about individuals and about movements. Brexit is a good idea. I support Brexit 100%. But I also then go, I support the people to live free which they cannot do in their country because their government is run by bad people. It's run by people who have never met the idea of freedom and have no notion of it. They believe they are all powerful. What world do you want to live in? As always, I finish up today's show by the way I do every week, by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of Trump or Pelosi or Schumer or any of them, or Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell. You're great because of each and every one of you. America's history is of American people doing extraordinary things. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a great week. God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.